This episode is sponsored by CoachSnap. Are you looking for an all-in-one platform to help you build your coaching business? Then you need CoachSnap. It allows you to schedule appointments, collect payments, train and support all of your clients' needs. Health, fitness, hockey, football, or even life coaches can use CoachSnap. It's the business platform that will help you be the best coach you can be. And welcome back to Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. And this week, my guest is Kat Kim. She is a spiritual teacher, leadership coach, and founder of the School of Divine Confidence, an online school that offers spiritual training and confidence coaching to rising women leaders and change makers across the world. As a former crack addict and convicted drug offender facing three years in state prison, Kat battled addiction, abuse, and depression to come out out the other side. Her inspiring transformation and work with real people worldwide has landed her on the set with Dwayne The Rock Johnson as a contributing coach on his motivational reality TV show called Wake Up Call that aired nationally on TNT. Today, Kat continues to impact thousands of people using her bold and unconventional presence to help them build unshakable confidence in knowing who they are and what they're here to do. Everybody, please welcome Kat. Hi. <laughs> oh my gosh. So great to be here. I am so happy that you're here. Uh, yeah. So much to uncover because yeah. that bio was like incredible. So tell us how your whole <laughs> journey began. Yeah. Every time I hear that bio being read out loud, I'm like, wow, that's right. I was once a crack addict. That's incredible. <laughs> and drug dealer facing three years in state prison. It was such a part of me that's that I really, that, that doesn't even live inside of me anymore, that I forget about that. But that's yeah. the power of transformation. That's the power of being a fearless female fighter who just, who, who does not allow their past story and their past life to dictate who they can be in this moment and who they can Ooh, be in the future. I love that. Right? Yes. So um, it's interesting for me to hear it too, because I'm like, wow, that, that did happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a whole nother yeah. life. <laughs> it is totally a whole nother life. Yeah. So Really, um, I think my journey began when I was six years old. My mother began feeding my, me diet pills. And six years old? Yeah, six years old. And I don't <sighs> remember if this was like, mom, help me lose weight. Or if it was like my mom telling me that I need to lose weight. I mean, those two things were going on at the same time. I don't remember what started. But I, yeah. all I remember is I was just barely tall enough to look over our kitchen counter yeah. every morning. And so I, I would be like this and I, I would look up at my mom because she would be at the kitchen counter and she'd be at the cutting board and she would be cutting diet pills. I asked her one day, I was like, you know, why are you cutting this? Because every day she would feed it to me. Well, these are for adults. And because you're only a child, you only need half of it. And Oh my goodness. I mean, that was just kind of the beginning of a lifelong struggle of low self-confidence bad body image, horrible body image and yeah. um, low self-worth. And, you know, this is the thing when we're young like that, we don't question because we haven't developed that capacity to know whether this is wrong or, or right. You know, I just accepted it with, without fighting. I just accepted that, okay, there's something wrong with me and I need to fix it. And I need yeah. this thing outside of me. 
I need this thing outside of me. I need to consume this thing outside of me and pay attention to that because that's really the theme of this. Yeah. Like, I need this thing outside of me to make me better, to fix mm. who I am on the inside. Yeah. And so, plus you were getting it from your mom. So it's like, here's oh, yeah. your parental figure. You definitely yeah. don't question at six years old, your no. parental figure, like, Hey, yeah. she's giving me this because she is trying to help me. She loves yeah. me. She's my mother. Yes. So you just, okay. I believe, I believe you, you right? know? Absolutely. And then there's another element of, Oh, this is how love is supposed to be like, mm. this is how people, when they love me, they're trying to fix me. Mm. Or when when they want to point out what's wrong with me, that's actually love. So, I mean, later on, I'll, I'll talk about how this turned into abusive relationships. Mm. But, then, but then there's also the reverse to that. Like, oh, that's how then I show love. Yes. That's how I'm supposed to. Okay, if I'm in a loving relationship, what I do is I pick out what I don't like and I credit and I and I try to fix it. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, just just on that point that when you're that young, you're just a sponge. You're just a, a sponge for your environment. And everything that's going on in your environment is what you soak in and you don't mm. even fight it. You know, yeah. that's how precious childhood is is right so at any rate at six years old I started you know I, I just felt like I was ugly I was unwanted I felt ugly I felt fat I felt unwanted and unworthy all by the time I was in second grade oh second my grade. goodness yeah and thus began a lifelong struggle of low self-confidence and body image and self-worth issues and I also grew up in a really emotionally and physically abusive environment so I started rebelling at a young age and I started smoking and drinking at 13, doing hardcore drugs at 16. Oh my um, goodness. By the time I was 18. How was that introduced to you? Like, I mean, were you the only child or did you have siblings? I have three brothers, two of them, my my oldest brother, no. And my second oldest brother, he was also involved in drugs and alcohol. They left home when I was six. I went oh. when I was really young. So it's not that they brought it into my, they didn't bring it into the family. They didn't show me this stuff. Did your mom give your brothers the same treatment that she did you? No. Like give them pills no. and tell them that they were fat and and make them feel self like self-conscious of who they are or? Right. No, my two older brothers are half brothers. Mm. So, you know, there, there's always been tension in my family. We are, we, I come from a very broken family. Mm -hmm. So it's not that my mom like fed them diet pills, but that, you know, because of the dynamic between my mother and my father, you know, there's been just, there's just been abuse in my family all throughout. It's never been a really healthy relationship until now, but for, for most of our lives, Really up until a couple of years ago, actually, it's been very, very, very unhealthy. Um, so how did like drugs get introduced to you? Like what do you remember yeah. your first experience and who was the person that like offered it to you? And what was your yeah. thought during that moment when oh you were like, I'm going to do this? I think I had smoked and drank. I think that was like since I was, I don't remember the first moment for that. Mm -hmm. I do remember my first moment, the first time I took hardcore drugs, I took acid. Mm. Um, I was 16 and I, I, funny enough, I took it in my chemistry class. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I took it in chemistry class in high school and it was nothing really, I, I seem to have a high tolerance for drugs, which is not a bragging thing, yeah. but it, nothing really happened in that moment. So then it turned into this thing where I started doing it on a weekly basis. 
Okay. And on Friday nights, I would take one hit, then it turned into two and then three or four hits. I mean, I, I, I got really dangerous. Yeah, I do remember just this really, really cool sensation of just like things warping in and out. And, mm-hmm. you know, acid makes you feel like really good. So you're like, you just feel the sensations like your skin, everything. But it also makes you trip the fuck out, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. like my friend and I would look up at the ceiling and the ceiling would start to do all this warping and we would just freak out together. Really? And even though you, yeah. you freaked out and you saw things and you got scared, it didn't stop you from doing it again? Like no. the fear of seeing everything like warp didn't scare you? Because that, I mean, that's something that I've, the reason why I've never done acid or because really? I, because I've seen movies and I've seen documentaries and I'm like, I yeah. definitely don't want to see things <laughs> warp or, and I'm much more of a control freak where I'm like, I don't want to <gasps> lose control. Cause I too came from an abusive home. So like yeah. the loss of control really triggers me. So I try to like have my capacity. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. That's so yeah. interesting. You know, I think people, that's the interesting thing about coming from broken homes and going through trauma is that everyone manifests the symptoms and the problems in a completely, completely different way. Absolutely, completely different. My younger brother, total clean, like never, well, he has done drugs. Don't take that back. (laughs) But he never, he didn't go to jail like me. (laughs) But no, it didn't. It's it's interesting that you asked that. You would think, you would think, but I think I was on this um, path of self-destruction, you know, Mm. and I, I was seeking some sort of feeling in my, my life. Even at that young age, I was seeking something. Yeah. I, I had such a void even at such a young age. And so I was the type of person that would push as much and as hard as I can. You know, when I was 18 years old, I started dealing cocaine mm. and I was transporting it from Washington State to California on the plane, girl, on the plane. How? How did you even, <laughs> how did that even like, and you had no fear, like no, no fear, fear that you were going to get arrested, no fear that somebody was going to catch you, like yeah, no that's fear. The, that's the interesting thing. It's like one day I did get caught. I was arrested. I was handcuffed. I was put behind bars in Oakland, California, of all places. You know, at, at that time, Oakland was notorious for its high rates of violent crimes yeah. and homicides. Mm. I was right there in the middle of that. I can't believe it. <laughs> and I had no fear. I was fearless, but it wasn't the type of fearlessness that you talk about. It's not even the type of fearlessness that comes from the heart, you know, from courage. It was um, a fearlessness that came from having absolute zero regard for my life, my future, my health, my body. I didn't give a shit. I I didn't value myself at all. So even while I was in jail in Oakland, I... I was trying to make drug deals. I was like, oh, I'm sure there's somebody. I should do some networking here. (laughs) Really? So even after you got arrested, I mean, weren't you mortified in the, were you arrested at the airport? No, I was arrested after the airport. So in the, in the shuttle bus. Do you want to know the story with Yes, I would love to hear the story. <laughs> You're like laughing. It's hilarious. Because I'm trying to imagine it. And I'm like, yeah. wait, I would be mortified, you know, like, oh my gosh. No. I just, but I'm picturing you in the airport, you know? So you're in the shuttle no. bus after you've landed in yeah. Oakland. Yep. Landed in Oakland. I don't know the area very well because I had just moved there. And I was taking a shuttle bus from the airport to my apartment. And the sh- there was several people in the shuttle bus. They all ended up 
getting dropped off. I was in the front seat and I don't know if I moved to the front seat or if I was already there. Anyway, in the front seat, it's just me and the shuttle bus driver. And they say that like attracts like. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. And I don't know who started the conversation, but somehow shuttle bus driver and I started talking about drugs. (laughs) Okay. Right. And, Uh you know, and I was like, I think I said something like, oh, I have some. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, do you want some? I was talking about cocaine. I had some cocaine on me. And he was like, sure. So he pulled over. No uh, way. He, yeah, he pulled over. And I think, again, I didn't know the area. And I still don't know the area. <laughs> I got arrested <laughs> there. And I went to jail. So I don't know. I don't know it very well. But I think it was like the um, Oakland Hills or something. Mm-hmm. Anyways, shuttle bus parks. I pull out some cocaine from my purse. And he takes a piece of paper. You haven't done drugs, but it's like the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. I've never seen someone like snort cocaine this way. But he takes out a piece of paper. He puts the cocaine in there. Cocaine is hard. Yeah. And that's why they chop it up and uh-huh. into powder so you can snort it. <laughs> <laughs> this is cocaine 101 right here. Yeah, I know, I know. So he, and you need something very sharp. So you, you use like those blades or you use your credit yeah. card to chop it up and you need a hard surface to do it. But um, he didn't do that. No, he just like threw it onto a piece of paper and he folded it up and then he just like snorted it. I was like, oh, you know, I was like, just, I just remember thinking that. And then the next thing you know, there's like a flashlight that comes onto his side of the the car. <gasps> yeah. And then so he threw everything onto the ground, right? Like oh. he between the seat in the seats between me and him. And this guy was a brown man, you know? He was a brown man, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why this is this comes up. So someone comes in with a flashlight and it's the cop. Not just one cop, there's two cops. Really? And it is very strange because what he did, this guy, the shuttle bus driver, parked the <laughs> shuttle bus van in the middle of like the hills and it's very weird so that's why the cops like pulled over they're like this is this is strange of course the cops saw the whole thing and he pulled this out the cops saw him doing the thing with with the paper and then throwing it down and they proceeded to arrest him you know and i'm like um at that time there was this rock and they told me to sit down you know and Mm -hmm. I was like okay so I sat down and I'm watching this whole thing happen and I'm like oh my god I I'm I'm free from this and this guy is getting arrested yeah so immediately I I went into my purse grabbed my stash and I threw it (sighs) behind me this rock you know and the guy who was being arrested he wasn't he wasn't like fighting he wasn't doing anything he was just like you know and he wasn't saying like she gave it to me she's the one that gave me the drugs now that I think about it no he I'm assuming he didn't because what happened in that moment Paolo is and I didn't believe in God at that time right Mm -hmm. and I was I had turned away from church okay but I got this message and it said to me the truth will set you free And it came so strong and it just dropped into my entire being, yeah, body, my mind and my soul. And I was like, I didn't even question it. I just knew that that was the truth in this moment. And then my mind was like, you serious, God? <laughs> like now? <laughs> I've been trying to talk to you for years. You're going to, you're going to like, that's what you're going to tell me now. Right. <laughs> I had that moment, but then I was like, something came over me. I didn't even 
question it, nothing. And I, and I called the cops over and I said, please release that man. The, these drugs are mine. And they were like dumbfounded. They were like, what? And I was like, yeah, they're mine. They were like, what are you doing? You know, because they had already booked him. They, he was already in the car. He was like, what? Yeah. And he wasn't really saying that it's your fault and she gave me the drugs. He wasn't ratting you out. And you could have easily be clean hand and walk away from the whole thing. I had never even thought about that until this moment. Mm -hmm. Like that he actually probably didn't say anything because because all I knew is that they were shocked. And in fact, what I did was like I went back into the behind the rock and I said, look, I was like, this is mine. And they were like, you know, their mouths were on the floor. Yeah. And their mouths were on the floor because that you literally could have gotten away with it. But you chose to tell the truth at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and I was like, and there's more in my luggage. <laughs> no way. <sighs> I don't know. You know, at that time it was like, put some, put the, put the big stash in my luggage and carry a little bit on me. Just, I, I don't know. Oh my God, girl. I, like I said, I was fearless and I, it was so stupid. Right? But like, even after you got arrested, you said yeah. you went to the prison and you were thinking, how can I network here? So you still hadn't really had this come to Jesus no. moment. No. It wasn't because the the message that I kept coming that kept coming to me, Paola, was the truth will set you free. Number one and number two, like the message was that this journey is for me. It's not it's not for that man. Mm-hmm. And there was something about him, and I never really thought about it deeper till now. But there was like I just knew that this path for him was not his. It was not his, and it would be really really bad. Had he been arrested? And I just knew that this was my path. This was my path. And so it was instead of like a fear about how do I get out and, and or this like kind of like, what the fuck have I done? It was more of like a claiming. It was like a claiming of this, this is, is my path. path. Yeah, I guess. So now that I think about it, I guess there was a bit of fearlessness that came from the heart, like a courage yeah. in it. But for sure, it was mixed with just stupid stupidity as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I went to jail and um, I was booked and, you know, I was talking to the cops on the way there and they were like, what are you doing? You know, like, and I was like, uh, I don't know. And we just had a conversation. And um, I even remember, um, you know, they were taking me into the booking, like they were booking me. And I guess what happens and what you're supposed to do is when you book someone, when you mm-hmm. arrest someone, you handcuff them no matter what. But me looking like a little tiny Asian girl, like this is, this was shocking for the cops too in Oakland. Yeah. (laughs) You were completely out of place. Totally out of place. And I think I had like these really cute, like red boots on. And like, I mean, it was just, anyway, um, he took me to the booking officer and she was pissed. She was pissed. She was like, don't ever bring anyone to me who is not handcuffed wow like, oh my god this is like <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, I don't know what you're up to, Why to come in here? Yeah. <laughs> but it's really interesting because I that was my first experience of like racism but not against me I like I saw I saw the bigger picture of it mm-hmm. you know I was like going through this whole experience from multiple like dimensions. There was me, the girl that was getting arrested. Then there was the higher self of me who was observing all of this at the same time. And it could observe different dynamics playing out, you know? Yeah. 
the fact that I wasn't questioned, I didn't get arrested, I didn't have handcuffs placed on me, um, but that brown man did immediately. Yeah. You know, with no questions. And and granted, he was caught red-handed. He was doing the cocaine, okay? Yeah. But had I been a black man or a brown man, I would have been questioned immediately. I would have been handcuffed. I would have been put, I mean, I was put behind bars. But you weren't disheveled. You didn't look like somebody that was already on drugs too. You didn't have yeah. like cracked out teeth, no. you know? So I, it, I do believe like the way you were probably looked, you were just like some woman that was like coming back from the airport and this guy yeah. took you on a ride. So, yeah. I mean, it's understandable, but the same thing, it's like the procedures weren't the same for you that it was for yeah. this yeah. brown man. Yeah, exactly. This episode is brought to you by Elage. Let the healing begin. This miracle emollient helps with dry cracked skin, cracked and callous heels, and even eczema. I've personally been using this formula on my feet since Suan was a guest on my show. Ladies, Elage is truly a miracle formula. Let me tell you, I went on a hike recently and I got a rash from some crazy plants. I put some Elage on the rash and it was gone within 30 minutes. Get yourself some Elage and let the healing begin. The link is in the show notes. After getting arrested, I was suddenly facing three years in state prison and I pled guilty because I was guilty and I didn't want to deal with um, a big trial or anything. And one of the things that if I pled guilty, there was this, you know, drug rehab program that I was able to enter into. So I went into rehab for two years and I eventually cleaned up the drugs and alcohol, but this feeling of, you know, not being worthy, not being good enough, that that didn't go anywhere. That was still living inside of me. You know, this 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 belief that there's something fundamentally wrong with who I am and that I need something outside of me in order to be okay. Right. So while you were in rehab, they didn't give you any tools or was rehab just to get the drugs out to detox you? They didn't give you any like mental tools to like figure out why this is why you have that feeling that inherent feeling because you know I came from abuse too and I grew up with that feeling you know most of my life I tell people all the time like I spent 20 years in a prison that I created of myself you yeah. know because you do create this prison of things like I am unworthy I am unlovable like the things that you're saying are I relate to so much because I used yeah. to feel the same way yeah. so while you were doing rehab they didn't like have like someone like a psychologist or a therapist or somebody giving you these tools to like help you yeah. figure out why this record keeps playing in your head. Well, I'll be really honest with you. I don't know if I should be even saying this on a podcast episode. <laughs> this is the circle of trust. <laughs> but this is a kind of a testament to my character um, is that I'm, I'm quite the nonconformist mm. and I don't, I'm don't like to be put in boxes. And I felt that the rehab protocol, and so I'm very careful when I say this because I know it works for a lot of people. Yeah. I also know that it doesn't work for a lot of people. Yes, absolutely. People <laughs> are still addicted and all of that. It didn't work for me. It didn't work for me in the in the sense where we meet every week because we're re required to meet. You know, most people are familiar with AA, but mine mine was NA, Narcotics Anonymous. So we meet every week. And, you know, one of the first things that you say is, you know, hi, my name is Kat and I'm an addict. Something about the process and the thing. And once again, I want to be really clear. This works for a lot of people. It didn't work for me. Yeah. So I ended up, okay, I'm just <laughs> going to say it. You know what? I'm just going to say it. 
I, I broke the law again. <laughs> while in rehab. Yeah, while in rehab. Oh my um, goodness. Big surprise. Because what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to get, you know, you're you're supposed to get signed. You're supposed to go twice a week and you're supposed to get um, a signature from the person who's leading the group. Uh-huh. I ended up forging it because I was <gasps> like, this is not, this is not working for me. And, you know, it it was true. It didn't work for me. Yeah. And this was, this is just my way and my method. Um, something about me is like, and why I think I fell into um, this path is that I'm, you know, I'm a quick learner. And, you know, when I'm, tr- when I'm being forced to learn or do something that doesn't fit me, I, I rebel. Mm. And this happened for me in grades, starting in grade school, like being in, a, in, you know, the public education system where it didn't fit my, the way that I learn and adapt. Um, yeah. So for me, finding drama, finding these things that are like exciting was my way of like feeling in life. Yes, yes. Everything else was just so mundane, so mundane. So I don't recommend this to people who are going through <laughs> rehab. I want to be really, really clear. Yeah. Um, yet at the same time, when you know something in your heart, you know, when you know something in your heart, follow that, follow yeah. it, follow it follow it it that was not for me so I ended up forging my (laughs) signatures but you didn't go back on drugs no I didn't um so so it worked what the purpose of the program you know getting arrested the purpose and all all of that eventually did work Mm -hmm. I didn't stop right away I you know because I was doing I mean I was doing drugs but I had a moment um, where I was like this is I'm I'm done with drugs this is not it you know yeah um, so all of it was part of the healing journey for me. Yeah. But it, but again, the feeling of lack of self-worth and, you know, not being good enough was still at the core of my being. And so even though I cleaned up the drugs and alcohol, I, I started getting involved in really emotionally abusive relationships with men. Mm. And, you know, this entire time, even since I was six years old, I absolutely hated myself. I hated my body. I walked around like I was the meanest bitch in town, you know, mm. and lo and behold, I attracted everything into my life that validated yeah. these beliefs to be true. Mm-hmm. Right. It wasn't until many years later, I was in a very um, emotionally toxic relationship. I was depressed, Paola. I couldn't even lift my arms from my oh. bed. I was pinned down. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, but it was like this darkness was pinning me down and I couldn't, I tried to lift my yeah. arms, but I couldn't. It's crazy that you say that because I just was, I told you earlier before we got on this call that I had just gone to a spiritual event and yeah. we were talking about that. There's been moments in my life where a dark spirit has like pushed me down, like on my bed and I would immediately go into prayer and it would go away. And I, you know, I thought that that was just me (laughs) and that it only happened to me, but I really do believe that like depression and, you know, anxiety and stress when you're in that lowest of frequency, the lowest of vibrations, that that can possibly happen to you. It's almost like it wants to keep this force, this negative dark force wants to keep you there. Absolutely. And you fight it. And I mean, the only thing that would ever come to my mind when that would happen to me, I would just prayer. I would just start praying like, you know, whatever would come to me at that moment. And I mean... That's incredible that you just said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, yeah, I didn't have prayer at that time because I, I, I still didn't believe in God, even though in that mom- moment when I was getting arrested, God spoke to me. Mm-hmm. I never questioned it either. I was like, yep, that was God. 
but then <laughs> but then I don't believe in God. So it was like this weird thing. Yeah. But uh, one day during that time, I was walking down my apartment hallway to the elevator. I was going somewhere and across from the elevator door, there's this like this big, huge mirror that hung on the wall across mm-hmm. from the elevator door. It's like really, really big, you know, one of those wall mirrors. And it goes from like top to bo- you know, ceiling to bottom. And I just remember walking, my, my eyes were down and I looked up and I caught a glimpse of someone standing in the hallway in the mirror. And uh-huh. I saw her and she was like, she was really unkept. Her hair was really stringy and she, her face was really red and swollen. And she was like wearing sweats and she was really overweight and she looked really unhappy. And in that moment, like even while I was wallowing in my own toxicity and my depression and my hate for my boyfriend at that time, and even for my life, mm-hmm. in that moment, I was like, oh my God, at least I'm not that bad. You know, I saw her and I was like, Oh my God, at least I'm not that bad. Uh-huh. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks that there was nobody else in that hallway. And it was just me. Mm. I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror and I had become so disconnected from the woman that I wanted to be, you know, mm-hmm. and the woman that I was being that I didn't even recognize myself. The woman that I wanted to be was beautiful. She was powerful. She was impactful. She was transforming lives. That's the woman that I wanted to be. And this sounds um, maybe a little bit dramatic, but this is really, really true. I I stepped into the elevator door and the elevator doors started closing on me. And I could see myself in that mirror across the, you know, across the hallway on the wall. And I was like, this is the moment. This is it. And I was like, that was the moment I said goodbye to that person. And that was finally my wake up call. You know, that was the moment I decided I would do whatever it takes to become that woman that I wanted to be. I wanted to step into a room and have people notice me, not just for how I looked, but for my, for my presence, you know, Mm -hmm. for the substance of my character, for the way I walked, for the energy that came from me. That's that's what I wanted. And so I began studying everything under the sun, Paola, uh-huh. around transformation. And it started off with becoming a certified image consultant. Uh-huh. So I, st- I studied color, style, makeup, like women's body shapes. And then I started a business that actually helped women like completely redo their outside, like their, their appearance and help women to focus on their, um, their beautiful, um, what, what they loved about themselves and draw out the essence because I was like, this is what I want. So I began this transformation. I, I I started taking care of myself. Remember I'm that girl that didn't take care of myself. I wasn't even worthy of, you know, like, you know, dressing right or, or yeah. putting on lipsticks. And so I, I did this whole physical transformation. I learned how to dress myself and choose the right colors. And then this led to, I became a nationally certified personal trainer because I wanted to understand what the body goes through uh-huh. when it undergoes transformation. So I studied nutrition and weightlifting and physiology and biology. And I started to go out, like undergo this weight loss journey, right? So I'm obsessed, obsessed <laughs> about this physical transformation. Then, for, did you end up breaking up with your boyfriend? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So you lost a lot of weight then. Dead weight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because after that, I started a life coach training that took me three years where I where I began to understand the psychology of the mind Mm -hmm. and how our how our mind and our thoughts 
really affect our behaviors. Absolutely. Yes. And then interestingly, this quest for transformation on the outside just kept on taking me deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper inside Mm. into the world of spirituality and metaphysics and quantum physics. And I became a licensed spiritual practitioner. Um, And what I realized in all this journey is that You know, who we are and what we want to be is not at all, at all defined by what we have on the outside. And and what we do in this world is that we're so connected to this outside world of things, of our body, of what we, how much we have in our bank account and, you know, how many followers we have or whatnot, right? (laughs) Yeah. All that stuff that we're focusing our attention on all this physical stuff, but actually everything that we feel can see, touch, feel, and experience in this physical world was first, first created in the non-physical world. Yes. Beyond the physical, right? And I know you know this, right? But it's, <laughs> but, but we still have a tendency to focus on the outside, which is just a yeah. shadow effect. Everything we have right now is just a shadow effect of what we were thinking and feeling in the past. Mm. So if we want to change anything in this in this world of, in this three-dimensional, four-dimensional world, then we have to go into um, beyond the physical. Yes, absolutely. Here's, here's the beauty of it all. Like I said, I was not a, a God. I, I mean, don't even mention the word God to me because I had turned away <laughs> from God, all of that. But I realized that when you really reach back, and you really mm. go into beyond the physical, the only thing that exists in that space is this beautiful, beautiful presence, this infinite power that is infinite intelligence and that is unconditional love. Yes. And that, <laughs> that is God. Yeah. That is who we are. We are already all of the things that we think we want to be. We are already all of that. Amen, girl. Amen. I'm Preach all about it. prayer now. <laughs> Preach it. I love that you said that because I have honestly been on my own spiritual journey and the more that I researched, the more that, you know, there was a time in my life that I was like fully into God. And then I turned away from God. Then I came back from God. And, yeah. and you know, and it's just been this like crazy roller coaster of, of like my relationship with what I know to be God. And yes. I, you know, when I mentor women, I say, you know, you can use the word God, divine, universe, super conscious, unconditional love is what yes. it's basically, you could call it whatever you want to call it, but it is the same source. We all come from the same source Um, and there is no mistake. We're all fully connected, but I love that you have discovered that and that, you know, through your journey, through your training, through everything that you've realized it's, you really do have to go back to the source, which is you and, and discover that you are everything, everything. The power has always been inside of you. Um, And to me, like when you said, you know, you do drink up everything from zero to seven, you know, Bruce Lipton, who I just recently, you know, got to see in person, which is awesome. And I've read his books, The Biology Belief and, you know, The Honeymoon Effect. And when he talks about how, you know, as a child, you do mirror and you drink up everything because we are just children. Yeah. We don't know we're being, you know, that's why 
hate is actually given to a child. A child doesn't know how to hate. A child yeah. comes from unconditional love. Yeah. A, you know, hate is learned. Yes. Racism is learned. Yes. Stereotypes is learned. Yes. How to treat yourself and how to love yourself is learned. And so yes. you learn that from your mother. Like, yeah. oh, I have to hate myself. I have to, I need to be better. I need to be on a diet. I need to constantly, I'm never going to be skinny enough. And, yeah. and it does all come from these old broken thoughts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more that I do this research, the more that I learn more about like us and humans and what we believe and how, how yeah. powerful, mm -hmm. bad beliefs, bad patterns, generational yeah. curses, how mm -hmm. that really does carry on from generation to generation to generation. And Absolutely. I mean, I'm so thankful that you have figured it out. And not only are you teaching other women and creating yeah. a lasting impact, but you've changed the generational curse that was yeah. within your family. Cause I love that you yeah. said, we used to have that in that relationship and now you have an, yeah. a different relationship with your mother. Yeah. Oh, it's been so incredible. And this is really new and, and I've had to work for it. You know, mm -hmm. I've had to work for it because here's the thing, you know, for, for anyone who's listening, who is an entrepreneur, who's being called into leadership, right? We have this really strong calling to make an impact in the world and make an impact on other people. But sometimes a lot of us have a, an estranged relationship with someone very close in our family, mm -hmm. you know, and it's so important that, you know, this is what I started asking myself. If I can't, if I can't be a leader in my family, if I can't be a leader to my mother and my brother and my brothers, like who am I to call myself a leader out in the world? And I realized that in order for me to even step it up and answer my calling that I, I really need to address this familial, like this family thing. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing. It is. It, the family is the hardest thing yes. to like, oh. find, like healing because yeah. everyone has their own story and their own yeah. way of how they survived whatever trauma and dysfunction. Yeah. Everyone has a different viewpoint. I, you know, I personally have been trying to bring my family together and it's like, yeah. they're so hard headed. It's really hard. Yeah. One of the things I told them, my sister, one time I said, I don't understand you you want to just continue to have this like brokenness among us. Yeah. And yet we're all Christian. We all want to go to heaven, but how are we going to go to heaven if we can't even, how can we go to heaven and expect to be loving angels, whatever yeah. we turn to be in heaven, but we can't even love ourselves here on earth yeah. on this planet. Exactly. So exactly. why can't we love ourselves in this dimension yeah. instead of making this dimension like the waiting room until we get exactly. to heaven? And that's when we're going to feel unconditional yeah. love. Like, why can't we feel unconditional love here on, yeah. in the presence? The kingdom of heaven is within. It's not. Exactly. I love that. Exactly. Within. Yeah. Uh, that's something that we, I feel like we've missed as a, as a human race. Mm -hmm. We've forgotten that. It is our journey here to make heaven on earth, heaven as it is. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know. So I'm so happy that we've had this conversation. I'm so happy yeah. that we got to connect. But as we wrap up this episode, yeah. what would you say is your nugget of wisdom that you would leave to someone who is either on the journey, who is looking for their spiritual guidance, who is, yeah. you know, wondering, like, how do I stop using the outside world to fill yeah. that void on the inside? What I've done with all of this experience, overcoming addiction and abuse and, you know, family trauma and all of that, I've really decided that I, I want to dedicate my life and my career to helping women overcome the same obstacles, right? So I started this school called the School of Divine Confidence, mm. where I help and I serve rising women leaders and spiritual seekers and change makers really 
overcome their blocks, fears, and shame so that they can step into the best version of themselves and truly make a difference. And here's the way that I define divine confidence. Divine confidence is an unshakable faith, unshakable faith in knowing who you are and what you're here to do, regardless of what's going on in the world outside of you. And that means regardless of a pandemic, regardless of what's in your bank account, regardless of a relationship that's going sour, regardless of all this physical outside world things, divine confidence comes from that unshakable faith of knowing who you are and what you're here to do. And you can't get that type of divine confidence by yourself. You are here in partnership with spirit. Yes. Sent thousand times down. Yeah. I, the thing that I want to say is that if you have issues and I trust me, I've had my God issues. <laughs> that word God comes with so much baggage, right? It does because of so many different yes. religions and cults. <laughs> yep. Yep. 100%. And so even when I say that word God, by the way, I'm, I'm just very, I'm about to finalize my application to go to take my spiritual leadership training even further. So mm. I'm contemplating getting a master's in consciousness and a license and becoming a licensed um, minister. In the new th- so this is something that I'm very, very passionate about. And yes. I, like, with you and me, when we start talking about both, talking about God, both of us totally lit up. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so, so what I want to say is that if you have triggers, if you have issues around God or spirit, it's time for you to heal it. Mm-hmm. It's time for you to heal it because you are not here to do this on your own. You are here to partner and co-create and delegate to the power that is God. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I love that. You're here to co-create with the power that is God. That is amazing. Kat, how can my audience find you? Yeah, thank you. You can find me in my Facebook group. It's called the Confident Leadership Community. Come there and I will welcome you in. Come say hi. Let me know that you are com- you're coming from Paola's podcast and I can't <laughs> wait to meet you. It's awesome. Are you on Instagram or? I am. Yep. I'm on handle? Instagram and Facebook, Cat Kim Official. Cat Kim Official. Everybody, thank you so much for joining. Thank you again for listening to Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. If you love this episode, make sure to share it with your friends. You can find me on the internet at fearlessfemale.com, on Facebook, The Fearless Female Movement, on Instagram at Fearless Female Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And ladies, remember, we have the power to rise and face everything. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.